Let's turn our Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. the section of 137 to 152. But as usual, there are way too many things in there, way too many things in there for us to cover in the time allotted. So in actuality, we're going to look at one verse, and if we nail it down, we're going to look at one word. Okay, that makes it simple. Okay, makes it simple. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And I'll read from the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, enlighten our eyes, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might have understanding. So these are not just words on a page, but they cut into our heart and dwell within us, Lord, that our lives might be conformed to the image of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. So Psalm 119, starting in verse 137. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thou hast commanded thy testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet thy commandments are my delight. Thy testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. I will observe thy statutes. I cried to thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for thy words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on thy word. Hear my voice according to thy loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to thine ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from the law. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Of old I have known from thy testimonies that thou hast founded them forever. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. We're going to look at verse 144. Thy testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. And the one word there is life. It is life. Now, I'm going to give you the answer. Now, now the, the answer, because usually, you know, there's what, what do we do? What, what, what do we have to understand? Well, how does, how does the sermon, you know, good sermon preparation um, gets you to walk out with something? One point, okay? This is not a shotgun. Sometimes there are so many points. You try to wrap them all. Here's the one point that you may have life. And where are we going to find how we have life? It's in here, okay? Now, that doesn't, doesn't mean you can get up and leave now and, or check out mentally, but that's what it comes down to. Notice, again and again, in those passages that we, we read, 
Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments, testimonies, words. It's on and on, precepts. Remember, there are only three or maybe four verses in the entire psalm that do not have some form of God's word included in the verse. Okay, only three or four out of all 176 verses. Only three or four do not include a reference to God's word. So this is like the kid's sermon, and, and the little kid, you, and you're describing this big fluffy thing in the sky, and, and, and what do we call that? And, and the little girl says, well, it, it sounds like a cloud, but I know the answer has to be Jesus, okay, because it's a kid's sermon, okay? Almost any question, when we look at Psalm 119 about how we are to live, how are we to understand, what is our strength, what, how do we, where do we find life, the answer is going to be the word, that is where we find it okay the righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting give me understanding that i shall live so the question for us today is what does it mean to live what does it mean to live the dates may 1897 Samuel Clemens, or better known as Mark Twain, is in London. He's on this worldwide tour where he's talking. You know, he's a humorist, a, a social critic, or commentary. And he stopped in London, and it was on one of those days where the English correspondent for the New York Journal, his name was Frank Marshall White, he, he asked Mark Twain about his health because there had been these reports that he wasn't feeling well and in fact even reports that were he was on his deathbed and Twain responded and most of us know some form of this the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated okay now you reach a certain age in life when you you open the paper or you get on al.com and you look at the obituaries see if there's anybody you know see if you're there okay uh, I know that's kind of a cliche. Well, I wasn't there today, so I'm good. But you never know because sometimes people have found their names in the obituaries. And that is a terrible thing that happens because they're assumed to be dead. And what is worse is that the government now assumes that they are dead. Okay? Um, the Social Security Administration, it maintains a compilation of U.S. deaths known as the Death Master File. Sounds Orwellian. Okay, the Death Master File. There it is. Every year, about two, two and a half to three million people have verified deaths, and they're added to the file every year. And each death lists its name. Its name is listed, so security number, date of death, date of birth, and the last zip code they were known to live at. That's the Death Master File. Most of the time, People are actually dead when they're on the file. But about 14,000 people every year are placed on the death master file in error. Usually it's a keystroke error on the input of information. Okay? Uh, or sometimes it's a, a false reporting of something. We'll look at that in just a moment. Uh, but it's human error. Now, people who accidentally wind up on the death master file have seen their bank accounts frozen, their credits card canceled, their health insurance cut off, their benefits payments canceled, or even withdrawn from the account if it's on automatic, uh, automatic uh, deposit. There was a California man whose 97-year-old mother uh, had her utilities shut off, her bank accounts frozen, and all her checks bounced because she was erroneously placed on the death master file. 
Retired professor in Massachusetts wasn't allowed to get his prescriptions filled. Found that all his medical appointments had been canceled. Now, they canceled them automatically. They did all these things automatically because the word went out, you know, if Randy's on the list, then all these things get canceled that Randy's counting on. Okay? And that's what happens. Now, you may think that all you have to do to get off the death master file is call him up and say, hey, this is Randy and I'm still alive. Not quite that easy. Not quite that easy. You, you have to, at minimum, show up at a Social Security office with a, a uh, photo ID card showing that you're Randy. Now, the, the tricky thing is sometimes people want two photo IDs. Like, this is not a, my, my, my license that has been, you know, covered in plastic. What is that? Laminated, thank you. Or my, I show up with my passport, you know, which is the document everybody in the world wants is a U.S. passport. It's the best thing in the world. Now, do you have another one? You know, no, this is it. This is as good as it gets. If you're very lucky, that's enough, just one form of identification. But very often, you will have to track the error to its source, whether it might be a county clerk's office, it might be a funeral home that, that put, you know, like instead of Randall L. Jenkins, they put Randall T. Jenkins, and then it, it started like that, something like that. It might be a health insurance company. It could be a family member who didn't particularly like you and then, uh, you know, put your death in. And then if a death certificate is issued, you have to get it amended and then go back to all these places and show that you are still alive. Now, the two worst states that have the highest fault, uh, faulty death notification, whatever it is, Louisiana and Illinois. Okay, we, we don't live in either one, so you're not quite as likely to be reported dead. But just remember, the fact that you still may be alive is no match for the Social Security Agency. Okay, it just is not. not. So all this begs the question for us. Am I alive? You pinch yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. But... Are we alive to the things that matter, to the things that really matter? And that's what we are faced with in, in, in this passage. Now, we're all going to die, okay? What is it, death and taxes? Well, if you don't make any money, you might not pay any taxes, but you're going to die. But the question for us is, are we all going to live? Are we all going to live, as this verse says, a life that is lived after the things of Christ? That I'm alive is natural enough. I mean, it's clear. I get up, I breathe, I think, do all those types of things. But it doesn't necessarily give evidence of a spiritual life. It's very necessary. It's important that each believer ask ourselves this question. I mean, it's easy enough to give evidence that you're alive. You show up at the Social Security office and say, Randy's alive. Uh, here's my ID. Here's my passport, et cetera, et cetera. But even with that evidence that we are breathing and thinking and acting, we still may be alienated from the Lord. We still may be alienated from the Lord. Many people falsely assume that they are alive. I go to church, I sing in the choir, I do these things, I'm alive spiritually. No, not necessarily. The apostle says to be carnally or earthly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life. So there are two options there. Either you're focused on the flesh, which is death, or focused on the spirit, which is life. So the question before us is, are we alive? Turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we will look and see what this means. 
We're first going to look, chapter 3, verse 1, the letter to the church at Sardis. You think, well, Rand, that's a big jump from one, Psalm 119 to Revelation. Yeah, but it, it, it tells us um, what it means to think you're alive, but not really be alive. And that was one of the criticisms of the church at Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Oh, now this is not what we want to hear. Okay, this is not, I, I, I have a name, and you think you're alive, Rand, but you're really not cutting it. I mean, that, what a terrible thing to hear from the Lord. You are not where you think you are. You are not cutting it as a believer. Whew. You got to kid me. I'm dead. Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain. So there's hope here. There is enough enough hope in the church at Sardis that something good can still happen. Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain which were about to die for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. So often throughout scripture we find that God's judgment is coming, and then there's the, but if, but if you repent and turn back to the Lord, then you shall live. Remember, therefore, what you have received, verse 3, and heard, and keep it and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Now many exist on the face of the earth. Keep your fingers there. Or keep, keep that page open. We're going to do some more there. They exist on the face of the earth, but they do not have real life. They think they live. And they live well, and they think this is great, and they think, how could it get any better than this? But they do not have life according to what scripture says they do not know what it means to walk in and live in the power of the holy spirit because they are strangers to him they are strangers to god indwelling in their hearts they live according to the flesh they love the things of the flesh and scripture is clear if you live according to the flesh you will die but if you put to death the deeds of the body then you shall live so you're going to live according to the flesh or according to the spirit Are you living in your trespasses and sins? Does the life of Christ beat within your heart? Do you, to a degree that no one can question this, no one can doubt that about you? Let's look at chapter 3, the next, the the last church here, verse 14 and following, Revelation chapter 3, Laodicea, Mm. Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God, that's Jesus, in case you had any questions about that, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I would that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And you know what kind of spit out that is. If you've had a child, this, this literally is not just a little drool. This is the projectile. 
I mean, this is to get it away from you as far as you can. The Lord says, if you are not going to be hot or cold, I'm going to you out of my mouth. That's what he says. Now, why is this so significant to the church at Laodicea? Well, Laodicea was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things that it didn't really have was good water. So it built aqueducts from the north There were hot springs. From the south, there were cold springs. And they shipped the water in on those aqueducts to the city. And you know what the temperature was of the water from both sides when it hit Laodicea? It was lukewarm. So when he said, you're neither hot nor you're cold, you're lukewarm, they understood exactly what he meant. He says, you need to be one or the other. I mean, the Lord wants the believer to be hot for him. So I know your deeds, you're not hot nor cold, I would that you were. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 17, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Those words, poor and blind and naked, are all pointing to what they put their trust in in the world. Poor, they were a banking community. Blind, they made this special salve that went on the eyes. And naked, at Laodicea, they were known for a special black cloth that they made. And he says, you put all your trust in these things of the world. But really, you don't have anything. Because you don't have life. Because you don't have life in Christ. Because you're not hot for Christ. You're not sold out for Christ. 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich. The white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see spiritual eyes. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Be zealous therefore and repent. So we're faced with this. Does the life in Christ beat within your heart so that no one can question you? Does anyone have to come up to you and say, are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, my name's Luke. Lukewarm. No. Is there enough evidence to convict you? I mean, that was what I heard as a teenager. Make sure there's enough evidence to convict you that you're a Christian. If you had to go to court one day. Well, make sure that there's evidence of life in you. The real spiritual life. Is your life hid with Christ in God? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's the question. So let's start at the beginning. What about us? Are we living in our trespasses and sin? So if you are alive, it's an important question for each of us. And first we discover if in the whole process, let's go back. And, and some of us may be there today that we do not have life in Christ. We don't know what, it, what we're talking about here. We, just, we come to church, but it's never really penetrated our minds. The Lord has never opened our hearts to the, the things of salvation. So as we dig into the word, the first thing that happens is first we discover that we have a problem with sin, that we are guilty of sin. Now, the Lord doesn't have any, and we can't get to him because of our sin, but Christ's death takes away that sin. And what is the penalty for sin? The wages of sin is death. It's an eternal death. And so far as we understand this position that, that, that we, we are in or, or we're in earlier in our lives before Christ changed us, we should be quite alarmed. 
I mean, if I can't get to the Lord, there's an eternal punishment that waits. And, and if I can't do something to get to the Lord, if I can't make myself right, which we can't, the Lord is the one who comes and makes us right, then we should be alarmed because there is a judge who sits on the throne who is righteous. Sin cannot be in his presence. He is holy and perfect. Ezekiel 18 is clear. The soul that sins is the one that dies. The soul that sins is the one that dies. But when you become aware of your sin, you are aware that there is life in Christ because the Lord is beginning to open your eyes and and provide for you understanding that there is life for guilty men and women. That's, That's us. That's you and me. Scripture tells us the Lord gives us faith to know that there is real life in the person of Jesus Christ and no other. There's no other place that we can find life. But we don't understand what that life looks like in full yet. That's part of the sanctification process. We're growing. We're understanding what life is. We're understanding how we apply these things that we, we've been changed to and, 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 and we are living out, but we don't have it in full yet. We know there's salvation, no other name but Christ, but we don't comprehend how that faith is completely lived out yet. Then is the time for us to pray, Lord, give me understanding that I may live. Give me understanding that I may live, that I may know more of you. We need illumination so that we can understand salvation, so that we can live it out, so we can live out this life. We can understand the, 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 the atonement of Christ and what that calls us to do, that we can be enabled at this instant to trust Christ and live. Christ is our life, but we need to understand from the Lord, we need to understand it from the Lord or we'll, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. See, in our natural state, we're all under the sentence of death. Yeah, we can live life, but the sentence is eternal death. But in Christ, in the things of Christ, we find life. What did the Lord say to his people in his prayer? This is eternal life, that, you, that they know you, the one and true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Why, was those, why were those miracles in John listed? So that we may have life in Jesus Christ. Jesus says what? I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through him. Nobody. There's not life outside of Christ. So what does real life look like? Real life. That is life lived in and for Christ. May be a great life for you. It might be a life of unending joy. It might be a life of ease. It might be a life of complete peace and, 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 and happiness. It might be all those things. But it might be something else too. It might be a life where trial and tribulation happens. It might be a, a life where you are facing regular issues in your life that you cry out to the Lord, Lord, why is all this happening to me? And I want to make sure that today we understand this. I don't want you to leave this room. I'll repeat this whole section if necessary. I don't want you to leave this room without understanding. The Christian life is a life in which good will happen to you. It will happen to those who are in Christ. That is the promise from Scripture. But let me say this, and you've heard me say it before, and I will say it again and again. Good is defined by God. 
Good is defined by God. Good is that which will help conform you and I to the image of Christ. It may or may not be what Randy defines as good in his life. Okay, I hope you understand that. God defines what is good. He provides what is good. What is good helps conform you to the things in the image of Christ. It might be a lifelong struggle with something. Maybe you're sitting there today and you have been tempted and struggled with this sin for years and years and years and you think this cannot be any good for me. It's, it's driving me down to the depths. I feel like I'm ready to be crushed into the dust because of this temptation, because of this struggle that I've had. Or maybe it's a family member that you've had struggles with for years. Or maybe it's a disease that you have struggled with for years. You think I am just about done. This cannot be good for me. But the Lord promises that he will work out all things for the good of those who are in Christ called according to his purposes. He defines what is good for his children. I would not define some of those things as good. I would define them as bad. But I'm not the one who defines them. I'm not the one who defines whether this trial in my life is good or bad. He allows it into my life. He is helping me to conform to the image of Christ. I don't want you to think, I don't want you to misunderstand, that if I wake up every morning and put God first in my life, that only good things as I define them will come to me and happen in my life. If you're seeking after the Lord, if you're experiencing real life in Christ, then good will come to you. God will define and provide what is good. But there are plenty of places out there that you can hear other things. Like if I wake up in the morning and I I fill my mind with devotions and, and I hear the things of Christ, then I will just be what? Healthy and wealthy and wise and all those things. It's just not what the scripture says. Not what the scripture says. And that is one of the problems, as we tie into last week, of the evangelical church. We, we, we're too subjective. We've forgotten the traditions. We've forgotten the intellectual. When you dig deep into, your, into the word, the Lord will provide what is good, and he defines it. Oh, I, I don't like it, frankly. Okay? But that's what it says. I would much rather say, well, it's good according to Randy's standard, but it's good according to God's standard. You might go out and and read a popular devotional or or listen to a 60-second message on the radio and get all jazzed up or read books from a TV preacher uh, about how to get the most out of your faith. And each of those points you to the fact that God will bring good into your life if you follow him. And then you look at your life and say, well, this doesn't look all that good, so I must come to the conclusion, what, that that hence um, I don't have enough faith, scripture is wrong, God obviously isn't able to deal with my situation. Somehow God is lacking. No, 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 no. Lacking is here. It's lacking in my heart if I don't understand these things. If we take time to dig deeply into the word of God, we find what is true. God is the definer. God is the provider of what is good for his children. Okay? Uh, Maybe you knew that. Maybe you didn't. But that's what the word says. Don't, and, and don't leave here today if you do not grasp that. If you still want to say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I know what is good in my life, 
God knows what is good in our lives. He may or may not tell you why he does those things. But the, the, the word is basically, will you trust me even if I never tell you why you had to struggle all your life with this? You want to grow in your faith? That's where the rubber meets the road. You want to have real life? That's what it means to have real life, trusting in his word. And we all struggle. We all struggle with things, and the prayers well up in our hearts when we suffer. And we, we, well, let's face it, we either know people like that, or maybe it's us in the midst of trial. Perhaps it's a disease, maybe it's finances, maybe it's relationships, whatever it may mean. Concerning the suffering that is part of the life of Christ, Charles Spurgeon says this, Perhaps the insatiate archer has taken a poison arrow from his quiver yet again and again, and love has had to weep over the terrible accuracy of his aim. Beloved ones who have been called to suffer in these ways, have you not cried out at times, I shall never be able to bear it. I shall die of a broken heart under these great afflictions. Oh, that I may hide in the grave. You fear that you will perish if the pressure continues, but you will do no such thing, believer. God will help you bear your burden by sustaining your soul with the heavenly meat that others know nothing of. If the load is not made lighter, your shoulders will be made broader. And how is this done? This shall be done by having a clearer understanding of what? What's the answer? The word. How can this happen? How can I understand what God is doing? How can I understand that this is good? You will have a clear understanding of the word of God. Not if it just rests under your pillow, you won't. You've got to open it. You've got to dive in. You have to consume and feast on it. You will have a clearer understanding of the word of God and a fuller experience of its supporting power. You do not so much need health, wealth, or freedom from trouble as you need more understanding of the Lord and his mind and all his dispensations of providence. What's the answer to my lack of understanding of what the Lord is doing here? It's more understanding of the Lord. Breathe out then the prayer up to your heavenly Father. Give me understanding and I shall live, Lord. Divine grace can make us live like the three holy children in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It can make us live like Jonah at the bottom of the sea. It can make us live like Daniel in the lion's den. It can make us patient in tribulation and joyful in distress. And grace works by making us understand the word of the Lord. Grace works by making us understand the word of the Lord. By a God-given understanding, we shall know that all things work together for our good And we shall take pleasure in infirmities, in necessities, and in distresses. For when we are weak, then we are made strong. It doesn't sell very well in the modern world, okay? It really doesn't. This type of life that we are talking about. You you know, in in the modern church, it sells a lot better than health and wealth and prosperity. That sells better. But that's not what the scripture says. And we can't revise Scripture for our modern day. And you know what? Those people two or 3,000 years ago, they really didn't understand the modern world. They didn't understand what life was like. Now we have a better understanding, and Scripture must mean this. No, it means what it says. 
you know, many of us have, have degrees here, advanced degrees, and we should understand these things. But the gospel was preached to whom first? Oh, the poor, the uneducated. I mean, those 12 that were chosen, were they culturally attuned and were they ones that you would have chosen to go out and change the world? No. There's fishermen, tax collectors, people nobody liked. I mean, Paul came along later. He was the only smart one in the crowd. But 12 men to change the world. See, that's real life. We come to him with a childlike faith. What's it like for those who come to grips with real life? They walk with the Lord, but they long to say, Oh, for a closer walk with thee. They're calm and they're happy, but they long for more of the peace that passes understanding. They have power in prayer, but they long for a deeper and fuller and more intimate relationship with the one to whom that they go. Give me understanding and I shall live. Give me more understanding and how shall I live? Fuller in Christ. That's our prayer. And the the key term there is give me. It has to come from the Lord. It must be a gift from him alone. Now I can, be my education, be the time I spend studying, I can give you information to help your understanding, but I can't give you the understanding which forms the base of the Christian faith. I can only help you build on that. You can help yourself build on that, but the understanding of what is true, the understanding of his word, must come from the Lord, must come from the word himself, Jesus Christ, as he changes our hearts and enlightens us and focuses our minds and attention upon what he says. The testimonies of the Lord are righteous and they are everlasting. In all of our lives, real life, hinges upon our knowledge and understanding of his word. So let's pray. Lord, there is a righteousness that comes only from you. There is a salvation that is only achieved through the things of Christ. There is a good that you provide for your children and its purpose is to help conform us to Christ that our attitudes the focus of our minds that our wills that our hearts become more merciful and gracious become more peaceful become as much as possible in our human state like Christ. That is why you bring good into our life, that we may have real life, that we may have real spiritual lives, not a life that is short-lived in this world, but a life that understands we are simply pilgrims on the way to home. And we're going to spend 30, 80, 90 years, whatever it may be here in this world, and we're going to keep our eyes on where real home is. But while we are here, Lord, help us to understand what real life is, that we may have it to the full, that we may have it in Christ Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.